0: This is the MIT Alumni Books Podcast. I'm Joe McGonigal, writer for the MIT Alumni Association. Contrary to common perception, the number of immigrants in the United States is not at an all-time high. Percentage of the U.S. population who are immigrants stands at 13%, a decline over previous years and at par with that of Germany or France. Many countries in the industrialized world, including Canada and Australia, have higher immigrant populations in this respect. Meanwhile, Immigrants comprise a quarter of our family doctors and nearly half of our research scientists, filing one quarter of all patents from the United States. They've founded 42% of the current Fortune 500 companies in this country, and estimates put the cost of immigrant buying power at over $2 trillion. Becoming American, Why Immigration is Good for Our Nation's Future, published this spring by my guest Fariborz Gadar, Class of 68, aims to dispel many of the typical American misconceptions about immigration and offer compelling data in their place. Gadar, who studied chemical, biomedical, and mechanical engineering at MIT, weaves into his arguments his own family's immigration narrative from Iran, along with other contemporary success stories of immigration from around the world. Gadar is the founding director of the Center for Global Business Studies at Penn State University, and a distinguished scholar and senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. I spoke with Ghadar by Skype and asked him what compelled him to write this book now.
1: I've been interested in international students and the role of immigrants in the U.S. from MIT days. I mean, I was the president of the International Student Association at MIT. Um, I was active in you know, helping international students get assimilated in those days, most of the people would get PhDs or masters and were international students. They predominantly wanted to stay in the state. Now, as a professor, I see that uh, that's no longer the case. Many of the PhD candidates, in fact, have options to go back home and, in fact, do so. And at the same time, it's become more difficult for our students to stay here because uh, the number of H1B visas are somewhere around 85,000, yet the demand for it is, is close to 10 times that. So uh, so that was sort of a, the genesis of the whole thing. But what triggered it was I, I do some work in the oil and gas industry, and I was in the Ohio, Pennsylvania area where they're doing oil shale oil, gas tracking. And I was on a plane, and the young man sat next to me. And I asked him, you know, you know, what do you do? And he said, Well, he's getting his PhD in oil and gas tracking. And I said, Well, you must be in demand. I'm not crazy. And he said, Yes. Uh, well, they do, but uh, I'm going to have to end up going to Australia. I said, Well, why aren't you staying here? He said, Well, they can't get me H1B visa. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is an industry that's making us self-sufficient in gas, we're going to be a gas exporter, we may become an oil self-sufficient. It's been a boom for our economy in various states, and it's probably going to help our current account balance. And here's a critical person getting a PhD in this area, and our industry can't keep them here. And so that triggered it, and and I started doing
0: research and looked at the impact that immigrants have had on the U.S. economy and in the U.S. You start out by confronting some myths about immigration in this country. I think that section leads off with the misconception that immigration is a problem that needs to be solved, a mindset that you think Congress currently has. What's wrong with that perception?
1: What's wrong with it is immigration and immigrants fill holes within our economy that are not being filled by Americans. In fact, immigration is complementary to our industry, our economy, and our society. And it is more so now than ever before. If you look at the nature of immigrants in the U.S., they're really bimodal. We've got people who come here and basically, you know, take care of your yard and paint your house. And people who come here and you know, set up Google and do fantastic research in the IT, biotech, nanotech industry. So those are parts of the economic spectrum that we we are not really serving properly for the society, and they're complementary to our, uh, to our economic development. The political system is basically, with regard to immigration, a stall. I don't think anything's going to happen. You can argue the statistics and the facts Show them what's going on, but if people start getting scared and paranoid, it's difficult to fight that. It's when people offer reality to come back in.
0: So rather than saying that it's a problem that needs to be solved, you would offer that it's a, a solution in and of itself that, that needs to be nurtured. It's an opportunity that needs to be harvested. If you look at economic development, I mean, my
1: Harvard does that. A number of other people do that. colleagues from my key dog do that. Really, you need a cluster development, and these clusters need a whole bunch of people that are really skilled to get together. We did that in the auto industry after World War II in, in Detroit. We did that subsequently in Silicon Valley with the IT industry. You will see that the percentage. Remember, those clusters are very, very high, and then you look at the. Economic clusters that are going to develop in the future—biotechnology clusters, you know, nanotechnology clusters, etc.—you're going to need the best and the brightest from around the world. And if you don't bring them in, somebody else will come.
0: Talk about what, what what got in the way of getting this book published.
1: The first publisher I contacted—they got all excited right away. The case studies that I wanted to interview—they were charming and helpful you know that, I mean this is something they really wanted to talk about. Here's Ewan Park who's on the board of Samsung and he gave me all the time I wanted uh, Michel Anselm who you know was, had a venture company I mean you would think these people would have so many other things to do Okay, I'm sure they do but they made the time to you know help me and the most difficult person to nail down was Solomon our painter he was the most difficult one to locate because he was so busy managing his painting compass. So I finally had to go to his site to interview him. Basically, says, you know, the, the guys who were really working very hard at the other extreme of the bimodal thing, Solomon was, was painting one of the buildings, and Curie doing a fantastic job, and he got into an argument with one of his employees, and uh, on the spot he fired him and I said you know what happened and he said he's my cousin he should be doing better you know I gave him a chance and if my cousin didn't do a good job he's out too <laughs> so that tells you yes they all stick together but boy they better perform otherwise the immigrants don't tolerate other immigrants incompetence
0: now, are you tempted to to write your memoirs at some point I found myself at the end of each of the chapters that talks about you or your daughters uh, wanting more of that.
1: Maybe <laughs> what I retire from academia, my next book that's coming out is uh, an update on my global tectonic. That's what I'm working on now.
0: Uh, how is your work at MIT in engineering alive in this book?
1: When I was at MIT, we did it was called the you know, mathematical modeling of the toroidal blood oxygenator, but uh, that's just to get a master's degree in. What it was, it was basically uh, the, uh, how would you oscillate the artificial heart and lung machine to maximize the amount of oxygen that goes through the tubes into the blood. So because of that, I was I was interested in the biomedical. And in fact, I, I even for a while, I was going to do biomedical research. But then um, connecting our dog that we had to the artificial heart and lung machine that we were working on, they would die all the time, and they would die four in the morning. And you know, as a graduate, student, those are the shifts that you get. So I would have to take care of the dogs, and that just became too much for me. So I decided to go to business school. I decided I couldn't take the blood and the and the gut and the glory, you know, the glory of research and biomedical. But I've always been interested in it, and when the genomics thing came in, it became really clear that this is going to be a big deal.
0: You talk about STEM a lot in the book. You talk about if we want to have a conversation about how to promote STEM, that needs to be within the context of immigration.
1: Right. Also within the context of our educational system. I mean, if you really want these clusters, you have to actively go after experts in that field. Um, So I contrast U.S. policy with, say, Canadian policy. In the U.S., we have... um, depending on the category, let's say 85,000 H-1B visas. These are visas that are given to highly qualified people that industry wants. Um, industry basically fills those quotas in the first and So they have to wait another year to get somebody. And it's so tedious to do that, that often industry doesn't want to do it. You have headhunting companies that hire these guys and then dole them out. You contrasted with Canada, Canada has a list of everybody who wants to come into Canada, and some of their provinces basically give the lists available, and industry can, you know, cherry-pick who they want. So Canada has identified the industries that they want to develop, and they basically give the industry the right to come and pick and choose and bring the people in the waiting list. So what you're doing is you're allowing industry and the government to basically cherry-pick people in accordance with their economic
0: developments. You talk about the possibility of an entrepreneur's visa.
1: Right. I mean, if you're talking about job creation, you're saying that the immigrant comes and takes your job, well, then make it so that the immigrant has to come here and and develop jobs. And other countries have it. We have it too, but it's very restricted and limited.
0: Back to MIT for a moment. What can MIT do to better advocate for immigration and for immigrants?
1: We could uh, argue for more H-1B visas for the students that are there that want to stay. We could lobby for more than one year for training. Students who come here have one year. Why not give them two? Why don't we system a more rapid immigration strategy if they open up a company and the company is uh, successful? So if you're an MIT foreign student and you stay here and you start a company and you're beginning to grow very rapidly, you of to on um, certain conditions, give them citizenship quickly. These are sort of small steps that MIT argue for.
0: Talk about what you're reading right now. Well,
1: I, I just finished reading Capital, the book written by the French economist that says uh, you have to read things that you don't even agree with just so you understand what's going on don't agree with them, but uh, I think it's better to know what other people are saying, even if you disagree with them.
0: Fariborz Gadar's new book, Becoming American, Why Immigration is Good for Our Nation's Future, is now available at your favorite local bookstore. Professor Gadar, thank you for joining me. It was a pleasure, Joe. Thank you for having me.